0: We would stand for the reading of it, but we'll be reading the whole chapter, and it will be over the course of an hour. So to spare y'all, we'll just remain seated. But um, I believe this message goes kind of hand in hand with what Brother Edwin was saying this morning. Just about the ungodly. And, uh, man, I suppose every generation has said it. But maybe it's been true with each and every generation upcoming. But it doesn't seem like there's been a generation so hateful against God um, as ours is today. And uh, we know, and he quoted the verses, but um, man, weakness is going to get worse before it gets better, right? It's going to get worse before it gets better. But um, man, that will only make his appearing that much better. But Psalm 73 talks about these the ungodly in the the world. That's that's what it calls them. And uh, this isn't a psalm of David. This is a psalm of Asaph, whatever you want to call him, um, which was, you could say maybe the choir director, the music leader, a a worship leader. There we go. That sounds liberal. (laughs) But um, in the time of David, also a a seer. He was a prophet. um, And he wrote many of the psalms, uh, at least a dozen or so. But, that's, that's why you know when a preacher says the psalmist, it's not just a title for David. It's because there is about a dozen authors of the book of Psalms. And uh, he didn't know which one it was, so he just says the psalmist. So I'll probably be saying that a good bit tonight. But that's who wrote this. And, um, man, once we get into it, y'all are probably familiar with it already. But I would just kind of title it, The Believer's Response to Hardship. How we, as children of God, deal with the things that are going on around us in the world. Let's have a word of prayer, and uh, man, we just need God to speak to us. Amen. Dear Dearly Father, God, you've been with us today already. Lord, you spoke through Brother Mike. God, I'm thankful for that. But Lord, not in a selfish way, but I need you to speak to me tonight. God, if you don't, Lord, then we just wasted our time and, and the time of these people. But God, you promised to gather with us, Lord, and we gather in your name, Lord, for your glory. Lord, and that's why we're here tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified, that you'd be uplifted. Lord, that you'd encourage us. That's what this message is about. Lord, about (laughs) encouraging your people. So, Lord, I pray that you use Psalm 73. God, be with me. Let the words that I speak be your words and not my own. God, just fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our response to hardship, and when you go through it, Asaph kind of gives a few different things, a few different maybe stages, you know, that he went through dealing with these ungodly people. So let's let's begin reading the chapter. We're going to read a good bit of it right now. But just follow along with me. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked for there are no bands in their death but their strength is firm they are not in trouble as other men neither are they plagued like other men therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain violence covereth them as a garment their eyes stand out with fatness they have more than heart could wish they are corrupt they speak wickedly concerning oppression they speak loftily they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walk through the earth therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them they say how doth God know, and is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who, spr- who prosper in the world; they increase in riches. So, just like Brother Mike this morning was talking about the ungodly, ungodliness can take a lot of different forms. It can look like a drunk man passed out in a gutter, or it can look like a rich man—you know, the richest man in town. It has—you know—wealth has nothing to do with godliness or ungodliness. There are are rich uh, people who are right with God. There are poor people who are right with God. But Asaph here, he he sees these ungodly. He says, verse 12, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. And uh, going back to verse 2, he said, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. When he took his eyes we're going to get more into this later on. But he took his eyes off of Christ. He started putting his eyes on this world. That's what verse 12 says, in this world. It doesn't say these are the rich in Christ or these are the rich in eternity. It says these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. It's a limited time that these ungodly will prosper. Right. But so many times, and we can't, I mean, I can't say anything against you or you can't say anything against me because we're, we're humans, and that's where our eyes are. I mean, this is what we see, you know. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says that we shouldn't look at the things which are seen, but we should look at the things which are not seen. And, uh, man, outside of a spirit-filled life, that's impossible. How can you look at something that's not seen, right? But it goes on to say that the things which are not seen are eternal, but the things which are seen are temporal. And... uh God has emphasized faith in this life because he's made everything that's important something that we can't see. And uh, Hebrews 12 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We cannot see Christ. The Bible says no one hath seen God at any time, right? We've never seen him. But we have evidence. Man, we have proof. Uh, (laughs) The Bible says that we have many infallible proofs. You have no reason to doubt that Christ is God and that eternal life is in Jesus Christ because he's given us everything we need to prove that. We have evidence of things unseen. That is our faith. But we take our eyes off of that and we look at the world. So I say, firstly, when Asaph goes through hardship, when when he takes a look at what's going on around him, he has confusion. Let's just work through these verses again. First he was envious. We see that in the first verses there. Verse 3, I was envious at the foolish. Envious at the foolish. That doesn't make sense, right? But man, you and I do it all the time. We think, man, I wish I wish I had that. Or if I could only do that. Envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says they're not in trouble as other men. And it, it's funny. What our perspective can be right I mean I don't know what's going on in your life and you don't know what's going on in my life and I can if I'm not careful I'll look at you and say I wish I wish my life was like theirs you know they've just got everything together and uh nothing bad ever happens to them we can look at the people in this world you know we can look at all all the wicked um celebrities and everything there is out there and think man I wish I had it good like them you know he says here, they're not in trouble. Man, they don't have anything going against them. It says, they're not played like other men. If you could only see, I mean, think about what was going on in your life before you came to Christ, right? Nobody could see that. Nobody could see the conviction I was under and just the, the fear and the torment that I was under thinking about hell. And maybe if you looked at me, you'd say, oh, he's not in trouble like other men. But all men, I mean, Job said it, right? As the sparks fly upward, so man is born for, in adversity or for adversity. But uh, trouble, that's, if you could sum up this life in one word, it might just be trouble. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm thankful that this, this life was not created for this life. This life was created for the next life. So when we see those, the wicked that prosper in the world, Man, it's just a lie. That's all it is. They, they, they don't have trouble. Yes, they do, friend. They have more trouble than you and I could ever imagine because they have, they have no Savior. And uh, talk about trouble. Talk about being plagued. Therefore, pride compasses compass them about as a chain. The, the pride that Brother uh, Mike talked about this morning, their eyes are lifted up. You know, Their eyelids are, are lifted up. That pride that they're so proud of, that they love so much, it's a chain about them. It binds them. They're bound by their own sin and by their own pride. Uh, We know God tells us in in Proverbs that, you know, God hates above all. It says, a proud look. And, uh, man, if there's one thing we as Christians ought not to be, it should be proud. But the pride of the wicked, it, it has them under control. And, you know, you'll be sitting in church. We'll have an altar call. and. You know, like like a message like Brother Josh preached last week on hell. Man, people will be under conviction, and you can see it. You can spot them under conviction, and they won't go forward, and they won't accept Christ. Why is that? Because their pride. Their pride has them bound. Verse 11, I found this interesting, and they say, How doth God know? And is their knowledge in the most high? They don't deny God's existence, because I personally believe that well, the law of God's written on their hearts. I mean, man knows that there is a God, right? I mean, they, look at creation. You have to know that there's a creator. Somebody designed all this, friend. It didn't just happen. And no matter how smart you are or what university you teach at, I don't think anybody really believes that all this just pff, happened. I mean, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But they tried to deny that there's a God. Because if there's a creator and if there's a God and for someone who is in charge of all this and there's somebody we have to answer to yeah. brother Mike said it this morning but they've got an authority problem they don't want to have authority so they deny that there's a God but they don't say oh there is no God they say is there knowledge in the most high they're not atheistic but they' they are agnostic you know and and in our nation that's where people are today i mean even even the most wicked and the you know I, I, I'm not going to name anybody, but everybody's a Christian. I mean, they're going to get out there. They're going to talk about God, probably. And then they're going to live like the devil himself. And they know that there is a Most High, but they question him. How, how does God know? Is there knowledge of the Most High? Does, does God really know? Does God really care? That, those questions are wicked. That's, that's what started this whole thing, if you remember. Hath God said? That's what Satan said. He questioned God. That that is wickedness in itself. But then verse twelve again. He after saying all that, the first ten verses, he says, These are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. So they're wicked, they they despise God, they question him, they're full of lies, they're they're proud, all these things. But yet, verse twelve, they prosper. They're the ones that have the riches. They're the ones that things are going so great for them. That's what Asaph sees, at least. And he says, Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So he says, they're living like the devil, and yet all these things are going good for them. He says, I am living the Christian life in vain. He says, everything I've done is for nothing because I have trouble, I have persecutions, bad things are happening to me. All the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. And he sees the wicked, and it looks like they've got it all together. Good things are happening. He looks at his own life, he says, God, is all this in vain? He says, I've cleansed my heart in vain. And I don't know, I don't know all the problems going on in this room. I don't know all of the uh, the hardships and the, the suffering that, that we're going through as Christians. But I know that, man, when, when we go through these things, there's some confusion. We say, God, is it in vain? Lord, is there a purpose to this? Why is everyone else doing good? Lord, and I'm struggling. Look at verse 15. I've never seen this before before just the other day if I say I will speak thus he's talking about the previous portion if he says why is it so confusing why are the wicked prospering why am I so so cast down so distraught he said if I speak thus behold I should have offend against the generation of thy children there there are things that you're going through there are heartaches man if you voice how you really felt it would just offend people nobody understands you know and uh When we go through it, we understand, but then we come out of it and we we get proud. And then you're going through something and we're like, oh, I can't believe you would doubt God. You know, just trust in God. And we ought to. But God understands. Even if you can't, like he says, if I would speak thus, he can't because he'd offend people. But you can take it to God. For some reason, and we'll get into this in the later parts of the passage but God, he's always merciful to us. Man, when we doubt him, when we're confused about what's going on in the world, when we think, man, the wicked have it better, and everything I've done to, to purify my heart, to wash my hands, it's all vain. God still loves us and cares for us. Amen. He doesn't, he doesn't des- destroy us, and he'd be completely Amen. just in doing so. Yes. In, in this confusion that he's in, he's first envious, and then he has regret that uh, he's cleansed himself in vain, that he's been in affliction in vain, and that if he would express that doubt, it would just offend. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. It, these thoughts just, they flooded his mind. They were more than he could bear. It was too painful for me. But notice he goes from confusion so really now he has some comprehension about it all. Checks this out in verse 17. So he says, I thought to know this it was too, too painful. I didn't understand until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Whenever we're in doubt about God or we're looking at all these people and why, why do they have it so good? Why can't I prosper like them? It, it's time to get right with God he says i went to the sanctuary of god we'd call that church he says he his relationship with god was restored here and when he saw as god saw he understood it all it all made sense and that's if you're going through through this hardship and you're you're just questioning because man everybody questions i mean look at the life of peter peter denied god and uh we, we see a lot of christians go through that we see this um was it a gyrus? Um, one of the people who came to healing for his daughter, Jesus said, if you believe, he said, she'll be healed. And he cried out. The Bible says he cried out. He just, well, Lord, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. He cried out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Sometimes, friend, you, you believe, but there's some doubt. That's when we have to come to God. Lord, I believe. I know this is true. I know this whole entire book is true. There's no doubt about it. But sometimes, God, I can't see it. God, you're going to have to show me that this book is true. And man, he'll he'll help you. He'll give you faith. He said, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. His comprehension here. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. When somebody lifts themselves up, that just means that they're going to fall that much further. Uh, We know Jesus told... The disciples and kind of in a parabolistic form but he said when you go to a supper you know don't don't go to the highest seat go to the lowest seat because it's a lot better for someone to say hey you know what i want you to come up here and sit with me than for you to get booted all the way down to the bottom when we lift ourselves up with pride it is only setting ourselves up for destruction thou castest them down into destruction how are they brought into desolation as in a moment as in a moment, you know. Sometimes that moment to us seems longer than it should. We we look at a wicked man's life, and maybe they have a full life—70, 80, 90 years—and uh, they prosper throughout it all. But look at what James says. What is your life? It's a vapor. I mean, it's here one moment, and it is gone the next. And I don't care if a wicked man lives a thousand years on this earth. It's still a moment. They're still just brought down and into destruction, like verse 18 says. They're utterly consumed with terrors. Consumed with terrors. You think, man, nothing bothers them. Their, their money is their security. And friend, money ain't no security. I mean, I, would, I don't know that from personal experience. I don't got none. But so I hear. They're consumed with terrors. Outside of Jesus Christ, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. Could you imagine if when your health fails or if you lose a loved one or if something goes wrong and you didn't have the Lord to turn to? Where could I go but to the Lord? Friend, I don't know what consolation there in, in a lost person's life. He has none. She has none. Your only hope is that one day I'm going to die and if I'm lucky, there's nothing after this life. Friend, they're wrong. Never envy the wicked. as a dream when one waketh, So, O Lord, when thou wakest, thou shalt despise their image. He was confused because he saw the wicked and they prospered in this world. But then he comprehends it because he gets right with God. And uh, I don't know where you are this morning in that, but I'd encourage you this morning, whatever time it is. Man, we need to draw closer to God. Because when we when we do draw nigh to God, first off, he draws nigh to us, which is a huge blessing that he would even consider doing that for us. But he gives us his insight. He gives us his wisdom. And James also says that if any man among you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And uh, a lot of what I say is going to be stole from my uh, my brother Nathan. He he really likes He's got the gift of a teacher. He likes to study his Bible, and he blows up our family group chat with with new things he's learned about the Bible, but uh, I steal it. But that word, uh, that, we don't use the word abrade a lot today, but that word, you know, abrade, in the context, may, maybe you just skip by it. You know, God gives, to, God gives wisdom, and that's that. But to abrade means to rebuke or to maybe to scoff or to mock for, for not knowing something. So he says God gives to all men liberally, he gives us this wisdom, and he abradeth not. He doesn't mock us for not knowing. He doesn't rebuke us for not knowing. And uh, that's a loving God. We can come to him for wisdom without, without fear. Because he says, he, we're his child. We're children of God. Amen. And as a good father, when when, he didn't, when we don't know something, we can come to him and he doesn't uh, rebuke us. But he says, okay, let me show you. And I say, God, I don't know what to do. Lord. Look at these wicked men. God, I'm doing everything you want me to do and things aren't going my way. But here's this person, Lord, defying your name and he's prospering. He says, okay, Caleb, let me show you something. He's a good God. I understood their end. He sees that uh, they do have an end and that they will be brought low. And then look look what that, what that kind of produces. So he goes from confusion. God, why are they prospering? comprehension they're going to be brought low verse 21 thus my heart was grieved conviction I was pricked in my reign so foolish was I and ignorant I was as a beast before thee and uh, when we have these thoughts that man this is all in vain God why am I doing this and then he shows us man, we ought to hit the floor with our knees and just say God I'm sorry who am I to doubt him? Think about that passage in Jeremiah. He's the potter, we're the clay. Will the thing that was created say to the Creator, Why'd you build me like this? God, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> what a silly picture. And it is. Because the thing that was made has no right to question the Maker. Friend, it's not wrong. It's not wrong to be confused. But what's wrong is to hold on to that and, and say, if you stop there, then you're missing out, friend. If you say, man, it was in vain, and then you throw your hands up and you quit, that's, you haven't even really begun the Christian life. That's where it starts. Amen. My heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. We use we the term conviction a lot. We use the term grieved a lot but he was pricked. Have you ever been so convicted and God spoke to you so much that it was like maybe a needle that just hit you? He said, wow. Job was there, remember? If anything, man, when you're going through hardship, look at the book of Job. We've never gone through that. I mean, within a few moments, he lost all of his livestock. He lost his house. He lost all of his children. He was the wealthiest man, perhaps in the world. The Bible says in the East, he went from all that to owning nothing. Um, Satan kept his wife and there might have been a reason for that as we see there on but uh, she said curse God and die but Job and his friends Job was kind of careful with his mouth and the Bible says in all this he sinned not but when you read about what he says and when he questions God you would think man that's a sin but the Bible said it wasn't because he wasn't accusing God or convicting God he's just asking God why why would this happen and after 30 something chapters just, Lord, why would you do this? God, I've been, I've been persecuted and afflicted day and night, and there's no rest. Lord, why would you do this? Then God speaks. And uh, God, he just asks some questions. God says, basically, what do you know? We're so, I promise, friend, it will make sense one day. Job hears God speak. He says, I will lay my hand upon my mouth. And a Proverbs says that too. He says, if you have done foolishly, if you have done foolishly in speaking something, but basically lay your hand upon your mouth. And whenever I read that, sometimes I just go, that was me. Right. But, man, the same thing that Job went through, Asaph went through here, and God showed him that he was in the wrong. God is never on the wrong. So if you and God are at odds, friend, i got bad news for you. Maybe you need to change something but just like Job I'll lay my hand upon my mouth God there's nothing else I could say Lord you're just God you're true I was pricked in my reign so foolish was I And then we look back at what we were and what we did and we think man that was, that was dumb <laughs> so foolish so ignorant and man there's there's examples out of my own life I could use but um this very passage has been used in my life in different times, but um man it's just so true. I was as a beast before thee not he, he's not even saying i I was like you know I was just in the wrong he says, God I was just as a beast before thee, Lord right. like an animal, he was convicted. Because he saw himself as God saw him. Because he drew nigh to God. And um, the closer you get to God, the more you'll see your own imperfections. And the more he reveals that stuff to you, so you can be more like him. And we don't have to wait till heaven to be like him. We can just keep drawing closer and closer to him, closer and closer to this word. It's like a mirror. It shows us what's wrong with us and what we need to fix. Nevertheless, this is where it gets good. So he says, I looked at the wicked. They're prospering. I'm envious. My feet had almost slipped. Think about that picture. Like he's on the edge of a cliff. He said, I was almost gone. I almost, I would take that to mean he almost forsook his faith. This is a prophet. This is one who wrote scripture. This is one who wrote songs to glorify God that were sung by David and by Solomon. But he had his eyes on the world, and he almost slipped. He was confused at it. He thought it was all in vain. Then he understood, because he drew closer to God. He was convicted. So foolish was I. I as a beast before thee. But nevertheless, in spite of all that, friend, in spite of when you question God, I forget the exact scripture out of 1 John, but... Uh, you know he remaineth faithful he cannot deny himself friend if you're saved even if you tried to deny christ you can't because you've already accepted him you've already had faith in him nevertheless i'm continually with thee thou hast holding me by my right hand again picture that that picture of a father with a young child when when the kid didn't know which way to go or he can't make it on his own that dad could just reach down and he could just pick him up you know Brother Damian, you could probably just pick Noah up and carry him by his hand. If, if he couldn't get where he needed to go, you could take him there. That's what God does for us. We don't even know where to go, but God can lead us there. This is my favorite verse for the month. I'll get a new one later. Verse 24, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. If you want to sum up the Christian life and what it should look like, I don't know of a better passage than Psalm 73, 24. Because in this life, God will guide us. With his counsel, he says, it's like we get to, you know, if you had to go talk to Brother Josh after a service about something, that'd be counsel. I can go, I can go come to God's office and sit down and say, Lord, look at all this, I don't know what to do. And he gives me his counsel. Amen. And he gives me comfort. That's in this life. But afterward, after all the goodness of God in this life and all of his counsel and all of his comfort. He says, then you will receive me into glory. I don't know why you'd do that. Friend, even when you doubt, even when you question God, he's going to remain faithful. He's going to receive you into glory. And uh, I can't think of a, a more comforting thought than that. And even if the wicked prosper on this earth, if they never face persecution, if bad things never happen to them, Friend, we have eternity. He'll receive us into glory. And I love the Book of Psalms. It's it's full of verses like this. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but um, man, talking talking about that that salvation being received into glory. This also comes. I, I should give him credit. This comes from Nathan in the family chat. There's a passage in Matthew twenty-two. Where a king hosts a dinner, and um, he invites everybody. They don't come. So he goes out. He sends his servants. He says, go to the highways and the hedges and compel them that they would come in. And uh, they do. The servants go out, and the house is filled. And um, the king's walking through, and he sees a man not wearing a wedding garment. And he says to the man, how did you get here without a wedding garment, basically? And the man's speechless. He didn't know what to say. And... um, the Bible says, you know, cast him out, bind him hand and foot, throw him into outer darkness where there shall be uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And uh, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and uh, that passage can make you a little uneasy. Oh, well, what if I didn't wear the war- wedding garment? What if this applies to me? But the culture of the time, the biblical context, and back in, you know, in the Jewish days, when a king would host this dinner, he'd have someone at the door, basically a greeter. But, um, he would give them a garment at the door. Could you imagine if we did that at church? <laughs> Maybe we should. But um, he would, the garment was freely provided. Amen. It's nothing that you had to do to earn it. If the king invited you and you showed up, he gave you his garment. Right. So this man wasn't like, oh, well, I, I didn't have the money to buy one, or I didn't do something right. He refused to put on what God had freely given, and because of that, was cast out into outer darkness. And friends, salvation, it's freely given. It's nothing that you and I can do. It's nothing that you and I have to do. You just got to put on the garment. Amen. And then this verse 24 will apply to you because he'll guide you with his counsel. And then afterward, he'll receive you to glory. Not because of something you did, but because you just put on his garment, his vesture. The robes are, are white as snow and washed in his blood. And the Bible is full, full of things like that, stories like that, that if we would just kind of study them and, and search out what they mean, then uh, man, they've got good stuff to them. Study, study the word of God. We're commanded to. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. There's no one in heaven that we, an angel cannot save us. And even if they could, they probably wouldn't want to. (laughs) Whom whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none in heaven besides Jesus Christ. And when I get there, he's going to be the first one that I lay eyes on. There's none upon And he goes, in heaven, that's necessity. We need Jesus Christ. But then on earth, he goes a step further than necessity. And this is his desire because on earth, I mean, I have my wife, I have my family, I have friends, I have this church. But he says, there's none that I desire beside thee. Compared to my desire for God, those things are minimal. He said, in heaven, there's no one but Christ. He says, on earth, there's no one I want besides Christ. He was his all in all. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For though they that are far from thee shall perish, thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God, for I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all I works. I told you we'd get through the chapter, and we did. But beyond his conviction here, once he says, I'm with thee, I'm holding by thy hand, that you're my strength, you're my portion, that I'm going to trust in you, that you're going to receive me into glory, he goes on now to confidence. Confidence in Christ, not confidence in self, that's pride confidence in Christ, you can be humble and confident in your Savior and man if we're gonna if we're going be I say this if we're going to be successful in the Christian life and not successful as far as financially or or to have a name for ourselves, but to see Christ glorified that is a success in the Christian life, then we have to be bold in him we have to have that confidence we we can't be continually confused by, well, why do they have something and I don't? But we have to understand what God is doing. We have to have faith in that. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, the psalmist also, also said. And in this world, he gives us guidance. In the next world, he gives us acceptance. And uh, verse 25 says, really, there, there is no one to turn to but God. There's no one we can turn to with our problems besides our Savior. Verse 27, though. They that are far from thee shall perish. Now it's destroyed all them that go whoring after thee. A relationship with Christ is really what term, determines everything. I mean, it determines your mindset. It determines your eternal destination. If you're close to God, then man, you have nothing to worry about. If you're far from him, then you there's nothing going your direction. There's nothing to be excited about if you're far from him. This last verse here, though. It's good for me to draw near to God. You notice this this last part I find really interesting. I've put my trust in the Lord that I might declare all thy works. He didn't just put his trust in the Lord. That's that. Okay, I have my salvation figured out. And that's all that matters. He said the reason that he trusted in the Lord is so that he could proclaim God's wondrous works. Faith, that is real faith. It's excited about sharing that with others. He says, the reason that I've put my trust in the Lord, that I might declare all my works. When you're questioning God, when, when you're unsure about your relationship with him and how things are going and why you're always struggling, it's hard to be bold in proclaiming his wondrous works. Right. I'd say it's impossible. But when you know, man, God is guiding me in this life. He's going to receive me into glory and I'm trusting in him. Man, <laughs> how can you help but proclaim his good works? that I'm going to declare all thy works. He didn't leave anything out. He said, everything that God does for me, I'm going to tell somebody about. I'm going to tell the church. I'm going to tell my lost friends. I'm going to tell the people at work. I'm going to post it on Facebook. Anywhere that we could bring glory to God through proclaiming the good things that he's done for us, we ought to do. So we trust in the Lord so that we can declare his works. And that's not just for salvation, but we, we trust him with what's going on in our life, with our circumstances. Lord, God, things are going wrong in my life. Things are going well in their life, and they don't even love you. But, God, I'm going to trust you. Lord, I'm going to stay close to you, and I'm going to keep telling about the good things you've done for me. Because even if, God, we say it all the time, <coughs> sometimes we don't really believe it. But, you know, if God never, the song goes that the sets sing, I believe. But if God never blessed me again, you know, I'd still, I'd still praise him. But think about that. Think about what he's already given you. He's already given you salvation, and what more could you possibly even, even want? Not just ask for, but what more could you want? Yeah. He saved you. He took your sin upon himself, and Amen. instead of placing that sin back on you, he gave you his righteousness, Amen. that God would take my sin and put it upon himself. That doesn't make sense. And uh, if that's the only thing that I receive that's good out of this life, so be it. Praise God. He's still being good. And I'll put my trust in Him and I'll declare His good works. Hey, everybody's going through difficult times. They vary. And, uh, man, some trials are worse than others, but everybody is going through trials. Don't envy the wicked. Don't look at the lost people's lives or just the foolish people's lives, and say, man, I wish I was like that. Have faith in God. Understand that God has a plan for all of it. He knows exactly what you're going through. And even if it wasn't his desire to put you through that, he's got a plan. Look at the life of Joseph. You meant it for evil. Man meant it for evil. But God turned that into good. And he always does. Everything that happens in the life of a believer is for the glory of God and for the good of the Christian. When we understand that, we need to repent of our unfaithfulness. We need to turn away from doubting. We need to repent of uh, our ignorance, just like Job did. And then that leads to the verse 28. Put your trust in the Lord. And declare his works. Be bold in the Savior. You and I, we can come before him boldly. And not only can we come before him boldly, but we can stand before man bold in our Savior. He's given us that power. Remember before the Great Commission, uh, Brother Caleb Hutton preached it last week. The verse before that, he says, all power is given unto me. Therefore, go and preach. Because he gave us power. And uh it's there at our disposal. All we have to do is take it and run with it. He's given it to us. So I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life. If you're not going through tough times right now, praise God. You're the only one. Thank God for that. Thank God for his goodness. And uh, But when they come, hey, don't doubt. Don't be discouraged. Keep looking to the Savior. Keep getting in the word of God. Keep coming to church because... When I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And when you draw close to God, He'll reveal these things to you and He'll give us boldness and He'll use these things for His glory. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are good to us. Lord, that's how the chapter starts off. Lord, truly, God is good to Israel. Lord, and to those who, Lord, trust in you. God, you've always been good to us. Lord, sometimes it sure doesn't seem like it. God, this life Lord, is wild, and it's fallen. God, and it is full of trouble. But, Lord, be of good cheer. Lord, you've overcome the world. God, I pray that we would overcome, Lord, the envy and the Lord, of the desire we have, Lord, to be like the wicked when they prosper, Lord. And in turn, we'd be like you, God, that we would take on your suffering, Lord, and take on our for your name's sake, Lord. And like they were in the book of Acts, that we would... God, even be joyful through it, knowing that we suffered for your sake. Lord, we love you. God, I pray that, Lord, I don't don't know what you've spoken to people about or if you've spoken to people, but God, I pray that if so, Lord, that we wouldn't be hesitant to talk to you, but Lord, that like Job, you talk to us, and God, we would acknowledge, Lord, your righteousness. God and uh, Lord are coming short of it. Lord, I pray that you work in the invitation for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.